Matthew chapter 28, where Paul was reading for us earlier. I'm not gonna reread the text this morning because we're going to do a complete overview of the resurrection from all four gospels. We're finishing up um, the first of the four gospels this week. So as an introduction this morning, as we look at the resurrection, you'll remember three days earlier, uh, Jesus said uh, to the thief that believed on him that he said, Lord, would, would you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And the Lord just looked at, at the thief on the cross and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And a lot of people just assume that he's talking about going to heaven. He's not talking about going to heaven. What I'd like to cover before we get to the resurrection is what the Lord did from the time that he died on the cross, where is paradise, and um, what happened during those three days. Paradise is not heaven uh, because Jesus said today. And we know that he didn't ascend into heaven until after the three days. I'd like to begin this morning, and this is one of those Bible studies I'm going to actually ask you to follow along. There'll be a couple that I'll just quote. But I really want you to see for yourself a complete picture of all the four Gospels. I want you to turn with me when, when um, we have a page turner. The first one is going to be Ephesians chapter 4. Give you a moment to get there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you um, in, the, in the pews where we hold the Bibles. Ephesians Uh, chapter 4, picking it up in verse 8. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Please remember those words because I'm going to refer to them again only from the book of Isaiah. He led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Here, Paul writing to the Ephesians is clearly telling us before Jesus was taken to heaven, he first descended. Now Jesus talked about this. If you're taking notes, Matthew 12, verse 40, the Lord said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what is in the heart of the earth? Our next scripture that I'm going to ask you to turn to is in the book of Hebrews. Um, That would be farther down to your right. Hebrews chapter 11 And just think for a moment of all the Old Testament saints. That's what chapter 11 is about from Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham and Sarah. And he stops after talking about Sarah. And in verse 13, he says, they all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and they confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. 
And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they came out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So they died. But they died not having received what God had promised to them, which is a city, which they looked to. The question is, Uh, If they died, but they still have a hope, then where are they? Well, this would be a place that is referred to in the heart of the earth. Jesus called it paradise when he was referring and talking to the thief on the cross. Luke chapter 16 is where I'm going to have you turn next. Go back to Luke 16. And here what Jesus was referring to when he would descend into the heart of the earth for three days is actually referred to as Abraham's bosom. At this time, we're gonna discover in the heart of the earth, there are two chambers. Picking it up in verse 19, it's this, it says in your Bible, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now one of the rules of interpret, interpreting a parable is that a a true parable never uses a proper name. This parable does. Therefore, I do not believe it's a parable. I believe it's an actual story of a rich man that was real and a man named Lazarus. And so we pick it up in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen. He fared sumptuously every day. But there was also a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Um, When my grandma passed, I've told the story before, but um, she wanted a couple more days to talk to the kids. And there was an angel that she tells me, now, this is my grandma, so this is a true story, okay? (laughs) If it's your grandma, I have serious doubts, but it's my grandma, it's a true story. She also had a couple visions of the second coming of the Lord. And after she was, uh, she would, she was sort of ashamed to talk about it because people thought she was a little wacky. But when I started talking about Jesus all the time, she'd, always forget that she told me the story a hundred times about seeing the Lord coming in the clouds. She said, come here, I want to tell you something. I know what you're going to say, Grandma. You're going to tell me about you saw the Lord. How did you know that? Well, when you're 99, your memory goes. <laughs> anyway, the angels came and took um, Lazarus and uh, took him by angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is paradise. It's where the thief went the day that Jesus died with him. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now we have two chambers. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. The Bible clearly tells us, us here 
that this man died in his sins without faith, that there's a place uh, of torment, and the rich man is aware of another chamber that he could see, and so he strikes up a conversation with Abraham, and evidently they're able to communicate between these chambers, but the one can't pass from one to the other. Let's continue reading verse 25. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides, all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. I often wondered just how much reality set in for this man at that moment. The finality of the words of Abraham can't be done. You can't come here and we can't go there. And he's realizing maybe for the first time in all eternity that he has no alternative except this place of torment. So maybe for the first time his heart goes out to family members who are still alive. He's conscious of that. It tells us in the next verse. There's still people who are alive, which tells me there's people who have died that you know, that went to hell, and now they have that same reality, and their concern would be the same as this rich man. I don't want anybody to come to this place, and the torment that's there. So we read, I beg you therefore, verse 27, that you would send him to my father's house. You see, I have five brothers, that he may, we would use the word, witness to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now my Bible said it's the goodness of the Lord that leads a person to repentance. But James says that we're to save some through fear. Well, how can you save some through fear? You look them straight in the eye. I was talking to uh, Tommy after the wedding yesterday. He was witnessing to one of his friends. He had him captive out in some fishing boat up north. He wasn't going anywhere. And he started ragging on the Lord to Tommy. And Tommy just said, look, I'm only going to tell you this once, and I'll leave you alone. There is a heaven, and there is a hell. Right now, you're not walking with Jesus, and you're going to hell. And I'll leave it at that. And that's what James means with some. um, Save them by fear. And let them know that there is a reality. This uh, universalism today, that everybody's going to go to heaven is um, a sign of the last days. Um, The scriptures are true. This man is still there. And he's in big mode for his five brothers that are still alive. He said, would you send Lazarus to them so that they don't come to this place of torment? And then Abraham said, well, they have Moses and the prophets. That's another way of saying, well, they have the Bible. They have the word of God. Let them hear that. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Evidently, he knew his family, and they weren't interested in what the Bible had to say. But show them a sign. Give them a miracle. Let them rise, somebody rise from the dead like Lazarus. And verse 31, but he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they won't hear the word of God, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Is not it interesting 
that Jesus raised a man from the dead named Lazarus. Some believed, and others said, oh no, we got a problem. We not only have to kill Jesus, but now we have to kill Lazarus again too. They didn't believe, they saw him as a threat. And so as we look at our beginning of our study this morning, those three days, what did Jesus do? Where is paradise? Paradise is Abraham's bosom. I'm quoting from Isaiah 61, verse one, and remember when we were reading in Ephesians where I said he led captivity captive? In Isaiah chapter 61, verse one, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal up the brokenhearted, and then he says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What happened to that chamber? Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. We're already, our text is in Matthew 28, but let's go back to verse 27. And we have a very unique thing happening. After Jesus died on the cross in verse 51, of chapter 27, behold the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks were split. And then it says, and the graves were opened, plural, and many bodies of the saints. Now remember, the gospel, the declaration to proclaim the gospel has not happened yet. He's gonna give that before we're through with our study this morning. But now he's talking about saints. Well, what saints? ones I mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Jesus goes down, and Isaiah, one of the things that would be fulfilled is to set the captives free, those who died in faith. Um, The graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised up, and coming out of the graves... After his resurrection, now this is very important that you catch this, only after Jesus, he's the first fruit, Jesus is the first one that ever came back from the dead. But those who died in the Old Testament by faith are just as very much aware as a rich man was, and um, they were in a place called Abraham's bosom. And I believe the setting of the captives free, now that Jesus has finally died, they couldn't go to heaven. Why couldn't they go to heaven? because Jesus had not yet died on the cross. Hebrews tells us the shedding of the blood of goats and rams is not sufficient. It was only a picture of when the real Lamb of God would come, he would die on the cross for their sins too, and then when he arose from the grave, he was the first one. That's why this verse is important here. And it says, after his resurrection, what happened? Well then, the graves were opened up, and people appeared to many, and went into the city and appeared to many. Now, I always have to stop at this point <laughs> and just uh, the, getting your, talk about getting your mind blown of having a relative that's been dead for who knows how long, and all of a sudden you get the knock at the door, and, and there they are. And um, maybe they were taking the advice of the rich man, and saying, Lord, you, you wouldn't let um, the rich man go back and talk to, to his brothers, but 
would you please let me on my, our way to uh, heaven stop and have a little talk with uh, the family? I really think that's what's going on here. And um, the reality of the resurrection, and I believe that that chamber, um, there's only one now, and it's hell. My Bible says in Revelation 20 that someday death and hell is going to be emptied. And that rich man that's there is gonna stand before the great white throne judgment. And he'll be judged according to his works. Not according to, there'll be no saved people at the great white throne judgment. Only lost people. Our judgment is the judgment seat of Christ, which isn't even a judgment at all. It's it's a judgment to determine uh, your faithfulness to the Lord in the here and now. And you'll be rewarded accordingly. But my Bible says you'll never be put to shame. In any sin you've committed, he has separated as far as the east and from the west, and he says, I'll remember them no more. Now there's a place for an amen. 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 So that's the good news. Um, And I believe Abraham's bosom no longer ceased to exist. My Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, Matthew 27, I think, uh, clearly lays out from the time that Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, you're gonna to be in, with me in paradise. Abraham's bosom. It wasn't there very long, just a couple days. And um, I believe that man is in, in heaven as we speak. Now, this morning, I would like to look at the order of events after the Lord arose from the dead from all four of the Gospels. This is going to be a page turner but I want you to turn the pages. I'll admit that things that I was pretty sure about but not 100% convinced, um, one of the advantages of going through the scriptures again and again and again is you go, oh my goodness, I've been teaching this all these years and I never saw that before? Well, that happened to me this week. And um, my assumptions, some were spot on and some were not. So let's begin by going back to Matthew 28. And what we're going to look at is the order of the times that Jesus appeared and made appearances showing himself after he rose from the grave. The first one is Matthew 28, verse 1 through 8. Now after the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, As it began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Indeed, he's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. Now what we're going to discover this morning is um, 
Matthew is gonna jump over quite a few things before the word, tell the disciples they're gonna meet me in, in, uh, in the Galilee. Um, the second appearance, the first that would have been Mary and, and another, Mary Magdalene, we need to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I'm gonna give you a moment to get over there. The next two appearances will be in, in John. John 20, what I, when I was reading carefully this morning, going over my notes, in Matthew it says, it was about dawn that Mary and the other Mary showed up. But here we read, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark. It's just a little thing, but it tells us there's times when Mary was there by herself. Came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple who was going towards the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Don't tell me there wasn't disciple competition. John is the only one that tells you that he's faster than Peter, none of the other gospels. And he, stooping down, looked in, saw the linen clothes lying there, but did not go in. But Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief had been around his head, not laying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself, then the, the other, then the other disciple, who would, would be John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw, and it says he believed. For as yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Well, the Lord told them many times. They just weren't listening. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. This would have been um, the appearance to Mary which continues on um, in verse 11 would be the third. And we read here, but Mary now stood outside the tomb while Peter and um, John went back home. Mary stayed there. And she wept as she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Now this time looking in, um, Peter and John did not see the angels, but Mary does saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, when we do go to Calvary or Golgotha, um, she's gonna suppose he is a gardener. Um, I believe um, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, he was a wealthy man. There's a beautiful garden that they discovered um, that goes back to the first century. It's right next to Calvary. It's right next to Golgotha. I mean, we walk there. We walk through the garden to get to where we look at um, uh, Calvary. And so it says here at verse 13, he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. 
And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. My suspicions are gonna be confirmed this morning about what the Lord is doing with his appearance as we go through this. I've come to the conclusion that Jesus is purposely changing his form and identity throughout this process. And um, when we get to Mark, it actually says that. But here, it could be that she had too many tears in her eyes. It could be that it was just a glancing look. And um, in verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you'd carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. Mary loved Jesus with all of her heart. She was a demon-possessed woman, had seven demons. And Jesus cast those demons out of her, and she never left his side. She traveled with the Lord, and she is um, here, the first one that actually sees the Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. Well, she may not have recognized the form, but she sure recognized the voice. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to mean teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. She probably put a bear hug on the Lord and said, you got away once, but you're not getting away again. (laughs) And the Lord says, do not cling to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This would have been the third. The fourth is now, we need to go back to Matthew chapter 24 as we knit this together this morning. Did I say 24? I meant Matthew 28. Verses um, 9 and 10. So he's already appeared to Mary, but now in verse nine, as they went to tell his disciples, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, different from what he said to Mary, do not be afraid, go tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So this would have been the fourth appearance uh, to the women that were on their way back to the disciples. Now the fifth one is also uh, the next couple verses because the guards when they saw the angels trembled for fear. And in verse 11 they're basically reporting that the body of Jesus is missing and they saw these angels. Verse 11 uh, through 15 Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened, including the seeing of the angels. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsels, they gave him a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them, his disciples came at night and stole away while we slept. If they slept on guard, it was a death penalty for a Roman soldier. And if this comes to the governor's ears, well, we'll appease him and we'll make you secure. Don't worry about it, in other words. So they took the money, 
did as they were instructed. And thus saying, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. In other words, there's no resurrection. We actually heard it firsthand from the soldiers that were there. They came at night and fell asleep. While we were sleeping, they took away the body. And um, he's just been taken away and stolen. He didn't really rise from the dead. The next appearance, there's a long version of it in Luke. I'm not, for the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to read the long version. This happened in the morning. Now in Mark chapter 16, there's only two verses that tell the story of what the Lord did in the afternoon. Mark chapter 16 is a story of Cleopas. We don't know his friend because he goes unnamed. Luke gives the whole account, how they're going home, they were disciples, they were discouraged, they're given up, and the Lord comes alongside of them, starts talking to these two guys, say, well, why are you guys so low, sad, what's, what's the problem? He said, are you a stranger here, Don't you, haven't you heard? We were hoping that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, but he's dead, so we're going home. And the Lord began to give them a Bible study from the Old Testament, basically saying, didn't you read the Old Testament? Didn't you know that he had to suffer all these things? So beginning with Moses, oh, would I have loved to have heard that Bible study. He showed them all the places. They're just walking. It's a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And while he's doing this, he's giving them a Bible study. Later they would say, after they found out it was the Lord, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? You mean that serpent up on the staff was really a picture of you? That's what he told Nicodemus. Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That was about you? Lights go on, one right after another. The Lord just laid it out to them. Mark is only gonna give us two verses, but here is one of those places that confirms, I don't know how I missed that, in um, verses 12 and 13, he's talking to Cleopas now, and it says, after that he appeared, notice, in another form. The Lord is changing his appearance. And... um, If you ask me, why did the Lord do that? My answer to that is, I don't know. (laughs) But he appeared in another form to them as they walked and went to their country. Well, we know, know from Luke's gospel that would be Emmaus. And they went and told it to those, but they did not believe them either. So just two verses, but we have an afternoon appearance of Jesus with Cleopas. Again, if you're taking notes and you want the full reporting, then go to Luke's gospel for that. This would have been um, the next appearance um, gives me pause, and I'm not gonna be dogmatic about this, but in Luke 24, as Luke tells this story, When they get to the disciples, they tell them that the Lord is risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. Now this is the first time that 
we hear that the Lord appeared to somebody else one-on-one. And if you're taking notes, that's Luke 24, 34. What I don't know is, is did Cleopas and his buddy on their way back to Jerusalem, how did they find out? How did they know? They didn't know the Lord was risen. But he said he is risen and he's appeared to Peter. So either they ran into Peter or they ran into somebody that told them because now in Luke's account, he's telling the other disciples, the Lord is risen indeed and he's appeared to Peter. So Peter would be the next in line where there was an appearance. Let's go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Now it's evening. So in the afternoon, it would have been on the road to Emmaus. So in 19, it says that that same day at evening. So we started while it was dark with Mary. It was dawn when the women were there. In the afternoon, this was Cleopas and an appearance with Peter. And now it tells us it's evening. So in verse 19, at that same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, they were afraid for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be to you. Now, I think he said peace on purpose um, because he just showed up. Those doors were locked. And he just walked right through those walls and he just appeared to them. And I'm sure he said, simmer down, boys. It's just, it's me, peace. Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now this is, the appearance was withheld from Cleopas and his friend. When you read Luke's account again, it says he made himself known to Cleopas when they, when they broke bread. So can you imagine uh, the typical Hebrew prayer, breaking bread and then handing it out? And it's at that moment that Cleopas, the Lord was made known to him, and he disappears then. Well, he reappears here. And uh, this time it says they were glad, and verse 21, he says, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I will also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, now Thomas eventually shows up after the Lord had gone, but we're going to find out the Lord hasn't gone at all. He's just not in visible mode. We have seen the Lord, but he said to him, unless I see his hands and the prints of his nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And he was not there. He's not buying it. So this would have been the eighth appearance where he appears to the disciples. The ninth time is now eight days later. So a whole week goes by. And uh, verse 26, again, after eight days, the disciples were again inside, but this time Thomas is there with them. And Jesus 
came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them, just like a week before, just pops in. He says, peace to you. And he looks right at Thomas. He's looking for Thomas. And he confronts Thomas. And he says, Thomas, come on over here a minute. I want you to reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Word for word, what Thomas said a week earlier. The Lord was there all the time. He just didn't see him. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, now you believe. This verse is for you. I can tell you, honestly, that I have heard the voice of the Lord once in my life. It was audible, but it wasn't audible to my ears. It was audible to my spirit. And you say, I can't understand that. Well, I can't explain that. (laughs) I can just tell you that that happened to me. I can honestly tell you I've never seen the Lord. Um, But he says, blessed for those of us, so that would include you and me, unless you personally had an experience with the Lord like that. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We believe because of the word of God. Just like Abraham told the rich man. He said, we have the prophets. And if you won't believe because of a Bible study, then you won't believe by signs and wonders and miracles either. We believe because we believe in this book that it tells us the truth of the gospel and the resurrection. And therefore, we believe and have salvation. Another good place for an amen. And so this would have been the ninth time with Thomas present. The next time is what Matthew um, tells us about being in Galilee, but look how much took place and what Matthew has left out. Just turn the page of John 21, and now we have more questions as far as I'm concerned, verses one and two. It says, after these things, well, those things took place in Jerusalem. Now, He's up by the Sea of Galilee and he showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias in, the, in this way he showed them. And it lists them, the ones that were there. It was Simon and Thomas and, and Nathan, uh, Nathaniel I mean, and uh, James and John and two unnamed disciples. But that's only seven. The Lord told all of his disciples to go there. So the question is, why is there only seven and not 11? And the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Were they still in doubt? It clearly tells us that there was only seven that were there. After that, if you're taking notes, I'm not gonna have you turn there because we'll be going there momentarily. I'm gonna quote 1 Corinthians 15. So here are the appearances in their order. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians and talking about the resurrection, and he says, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, the Lord, after his resurrection, remember, was around for 40 days. And at one time, there was a gathering of some 500 plus believers 
And um, Paul's saying most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep, which means they've died. Um, and uh, this would have been uh, somewhere, um, let's go back to Matthew chapter 28. And we have yet two more appearances, Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17. Now we have, then the 11 disciples went into Galilee. This is a different place to the mountains which Jesus had appointed to them. Now it doesn't tell us which mountain, but I have a favorite place in the Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And my guess is it's Mount Arbel. No, there's no way I can prove it. It's just the hunch that I have because of the beautiful vista that you can see from that vantage point. Right underneath our bell is where Mary Magdalene came from, from the city of Magdal. And then you can see uh, Capernaum, and then Chorazin and Bethsaida, land of the Gadarenes. You can just follow it right around. And... Uh, here, there were 11. This clearly happened in the Galilee. But the last place that I'm going back to, 13th, go back to Mark again. Just one verse, verse 19. Mark 16 is back in Jerusalem. And this is when he's bodily taken into heaven. Acts chapter 1 is going to get into more detail with this. It says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, so he is speaking to the disciples, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. I like how the Lord doesn't leave out the little things. Our first verse in our psalm this morning says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I'm wondering if that wasn't prophesying this very event. When the Lord is taken, this is the last time they're going to see him as he's bodily taken into heaven. Now, uh, that is the order, a sequential order of the appearances of the Lord from the time that the women were there, Mary was there before it was dark, then dawn, then the afternoon, then the evening, then Galilee, then um, back in Jerusalem. Turn to Matthew chapter 15 and talk about the importance of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 15, picking it up in verse 12. Paul, this whole chapter is about the resurrection. Now in Judaism, there was um, the two religious sects were the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in angels and the resurrections. The Sadducees did not believe in angels and they did not believe in the resurrection. They just split. It's like people today. Um, We believe in the resurrection, but there are others who don't. There are people who believe when you die, that's it. That's all there is. In India, when you die, you get a second crack at it. You come back as somebody else until you finally get it right, and this can go on from generation to generation. But my Bible says once to die and then the judgment. Amen? Amen. But here, in verse 12, it said, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, 
How do some of you among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom if he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, and Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Now there is a scary thought. Then those who have fallen asleep or died have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of men most pitiable. But now Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, and in Christ all will be made alive. I'm going to close this morning with a couple paragraphs from Walter Martin from his study Bible on the importance of the resurrection. So I'm quote, I wanna give credit where credit is due. This comes from Walter Martin. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. Everything else that was said or done by Christ and the apostles is secondary in importance to the resurrection. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Jesus is God And the Christian faith is absolute truth. Death is our greatest enemy. And it has conquered all men but Christ. No man is wise enough to outwit death or wealthy enough to purchase freedom from death or strong enough to vanquish death. The grave always wins the victory. And every person sooner or later returns to the dust. In fact, the unavoidable unavoidable triumph of death applies not only to people but to all things. Animals die, plants die, and even whole species atrophy and become extinct. Cities and nations like people are born and grow for a season and then they fade away. Homes, automobiles, clothes wear out and must eventually go back to the dust just as do their owners. Even the universe itself is running down and heading towards an ultimate heat death. The universal reign of decay and death is referring to in the Bible as the bondage of corruption. And there Walter is quoting Romans 8.21, the bondage of corruption. In science, it's come to be recognized as the second law of thermodynamics. This law is now recognized as a universal law of science, also known as the law of increasing entropy, with no known exception ever observed. Think that one through, without exception. It says quite simply that every system tends to become disordered and to run down and eventually will die. Its entropy, which is the measure of disorder always tends to increase. I'm gonna stop and I put my own personal thoughts in here. 
Do you realize what is taught in every university today and most schools is evolution, which is the exact opposite of what I just said. They teach through evolution we are uh, continually expanding, becoming, evolving into something better. But what the scripture teaches and what science teaches, the second law of thermodynamics, it's not true. There's nothing in the universe without exception that shows it's in decay and in decline, meaning it's getting worse. The universality of the reign of decay and death is a measure of the absolute uniqueness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All other men have died, even the greatest men and holiest men, Buddha, Muhammad, Zoroaster, Confucius, Caesar, Marx, men who made a profound impact on the world in one way or another, they're all dead. But Jesus Christ is alive. It is true that he died and was buried in common with all other men. But unlike other men, he returned from hell, resurrected his own body, made it henceforth immortal, emerged from the tomb alive forevermore. This was the greatest of all miracles since the creation itself and could have been accomplished only if Jesus indeed is God as he claimed to be. And he proved it by the resurrection. Praise the Lord. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning as we're winding up the book of Matthew and considering that we do have hope. And what a scary thought, Lord, to think that you didn't rise from the dead and that we would still be in our sins. But now you have risen. And you promised for those who would believe on you without seeing signs or wonders or a personal appearance, but by faith, uh, believe the gospel that you promised to that person that they'll never die but have eternal life. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. Bless us, these people, as they go and spend time this Labor Day weekend. And we, um, we're just grateful believers, Lord. We love you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.